Hardware refresh on the horizon? A Microsoft license renewal just around the corner? Or looking to migrate workloads to Microsoft 365 because it just makes sense? Then this is the episode for you. Today we're going to look at ROI, TCO and the business case for migrating to Microsoft 365. That's coming up next. This is the IT Factor. <laughs> Welcome to another new episode of the IT Factor. I'm Dan Craig, your host. Joining me today uh, is uh, Mr. Lee Foster. Lee is the head of our. Uh, <laughs> hang on, what are you again? <laughs> what do you what, what, do, what of... do you want me to be today? I can be whatever you like. I'm uh, yeah. Uh, no, no, no. That's not that's not safe. <laughs> that's not safe. Head, um, head, head advisory. Head, I was getting go. there. There you go. You got there. Jeez, such a tough word. Um, head of advice, hey Lee. Good how day are you? And you, mate. Very good. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having, thanks for having uh, me on, clearly buddy. Clearly had a bit of a. Yeah, no, no, no. Thank you for joining. Um, I'm just having a bit of a senile moment. <laughs> that's all. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell the people listening today a little bit about yourself, uh, sort of. Uh, you know, who is Lee and what does he do? <laughs> I was going to put you on the spot then and say you do it, Dan. <laughs> no, please don't. No, I'll call, mate. I'll call. Yeah. So, yes, <laughs> quite right. Lee Foster, I head up advisory services globally for Incentra. Um, I am British by origin, been in Australia for 12 years in November. Come very much from a high availability, backup and recovery, data protection type space, then sort of transitioning through my career into all realms of 365 Azure Cloud platforms, open source. Uh, what I do for fun, if you're interested in that, is I'm clearly a musician, play, play music, play a lot of music. Um, for me, it's anything that goes fast and has two wheels. So it's, you know, I ride dirt bikes and mountain bikes. Uh, and uh, I just recently, for a fun fact, finished building an electric go-kart for my kids, which is going to be oh, a ton nice. of fun. Right. Right, so yeah, I like to build and create things. So it's good to see that the guitars aren't there just as ornamental. No, no, they get used and abused, buddy. Used. Is that a Les Paul I see over your oh, shoulder? There is one of, there's one of each. There's a Les Paul, there's a Strat and a Tele. Strat, yeah. And down there's a little Mini Martin, a little LX1E, and then an old Jumbo. That Jumbo guitar I rescued from a skip, if you can believe it or not. And it's, <laughs> one, it's one of the ones I play the most often. It's, Very it's pretty nice. awesome. Well, I'm... I'm a little jealous of your collection back there, but that's okay. That's not why we're here, for me to drool over over your guitar collection. Um, we are here to talk, as, as I said at the top of the show, ROI, TCO. Uh, I mean, these are, are sort of buzzwords, buzz acronyms. ROI, return on investment, TCO, total cost of ownership. What we're talking about today is um, is, is really sort of the financial aspect of the M365 migration, right? Previous episodes, we've talked about the, the technical aspects of what is M365 and, and we've discussed, you know, migrating exchange, but we've kind of got a little bit of ahead of, ahead of ourselves in terms of um, the assumptions being made by us that you've already made the decision and you've it's approved and you're pushing ahead. But what about if you're at the beginning stages, um, whether you're a C-level executive that is looking to validate the financial aspects um, of Microsoft 365, whether you're an IT manager or an IT admin that's looking to put together a business case to um, to push through um, to, to move to the cloud. 
that's kind of what we're talking about today. Yeah, right? so, that makes sense. Um, in terms of um, that, that early stages or putting together that business case, um, you know, Microsoft have a, an ROI calculator. If you jump online and do a search for M365 ROI calculator, Microsoft have a, a great tool. But talk us through, um, if you can, the sort of the basics, where to get started in terms of calculating ROI, TCO, these types of things from Microsoft 365 migration. Where does it make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's probably worth noting that in a lot of instances, the move to public cloud of any kind has been made based on an assumption or a belief or as a tactical response to something, some event, right, that's forced a move. And, and it's also fair to say that in most cases, the move to, say, let's pick two, let's pick Azure and 365 for this conversation, has been done, again, to achieve a specific point in time outcome with very little consideration to cost more around resiliency, speed to market, and those kinds of things. And if you think of COVID moving rapidly to 365 and Teams, yep. I just need to do it quickly. And this seems to be the, the quickest route to market and to address that need, right? So yep. the, the ROI, or, you know, I, I tend to look at that as cloud economics, right? It, it, it comes later when, the, when they see the, the, the recurring bills coming in monthly, it's like, this is significantly more expensive or neutral to where we were, but we're not really reaping the rewards of what we've subscribed to and what we're entitled to. And if you think explicitly 365 and like an E5 license, which you've probably covered, for the most part, people are, you know, are subscribed and are consuming that license type, but not leveraging any of the capability. So it's right. almost like if you jump straight to the economics of 365 and public cloud without understanding the journey to get there and what was important and why it was important. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to do because what you do is you end up saying, well, we've got these workloads in Azure and we've got 3000 seats of 365 E5. Yes. So what, and how are they being used? How should they be used? Yep. So if you sort of take the, take the kind of the financial lens off and put the kind of end user lens on and look at it from the perspective of, okay, well, let's understand if you look at a well-managed migration into 365 and Azure, the only way, in, in my view, to do that the right way is with an end-user experience lens, right? So the move, right. the, that move to the cloud should consider all of the dimensions of the impact of that end-user, right from persona mapping, behavior mapping, security mapping, understanding what Dan does day-to-day -day now and what Dan need, how Dan needs to operate once he's sitting in a complete, say again, using that, that idea of an E5 construct in 365, using yep. workloads in, in Azure, what does that need to look like, right? Because if, if that's not understood or misunderstood and there haven't been any, like, uh, any insights surfaced to help justify why that's the case, then it's, yep. you see that's why people find it really difficult to justify. You know, where we were before was costing X. We're now in 365 and Azure, it's costing Y, but we can't quantify that there might be 15 DANs that do a specific role and, and job and need certain tools to do their job. And there's 25 leads that have very different requirement, very different skills and very different needs. So what we tend to find is it's, it's taken executives to sort of step back, right? And, and take that advisory view to look at, okay, what are we doing in the cloud? How are we consuming it? 
right? Are we getting the return on the, 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 the subscriptions that we have and the benefits in, that we're entitled to? And in line with that, do our people have the requisite skills to be able to leverage that capability and entitlement? Because then you've got... Right, so... Go down. I, I was just going to say, I mean, there's, there's the concept of know your data. We've, we've mentioned that a couple of times on the podcast, right? You yep. need to understand what you've got before you can migrate it. Yep. There's also the know, know your apps, right? In terms of the, the M365 stack, you need to understand what on-prem workloads you've got that can migrate directly into Microsoft 365. Yep. So this is really just another iteration of that, and it's know your users. Absolutely. Right? It's get an understanding of who it is that is going to be utilizing the platform. Um, and granted in this post, well, it's not even post-COVID really, is it? <laughs> I mean, the numbers today are scary. Shocking, yeah. Um, but yeah, this, this um, during this COVID era with a, such a dispersed workforce and the work from anywhere mentality, really, yeah. you know, the sort of work from home, um, having an understanding of who your employees are, who your users are, and how, to, not necessarily how to tailor uh, the the solution to them, but to ensure that it's, a it's the right solution to begin with. Correct. Yeah. And b that you're giving them the tool set needed to to work collaboratively and productively in this this sort of you know COVID era, right? Exactly right. You you want to understand what's the cost of getting work done for Dan, right? It's a yep. bit like to use an analogy, right? If you're a bricklayer, you know for a bricklayer they need a trowel. They need boots, they need a hard hat, they need a belt, they need buckets. You know the cost of getting their job done, and then it's just the yep. skills to do the work. But if you look to that and said, hey, I've got a new bricky arriving tomorrow, I'm going to give him 50 trowels and 10 hard hats and 50 belts. The cost, the cost to get the job done is way overestimated, and that's the, 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 the parallel I'm trying to draw for the, the, like the E5 attribution to Dan when you're right. using 5% of it. So know your user is bang on it's understand what those persona and, and role types need define that assign a cost to get work done if you like this is what it costs to do that role calculate that across a division or a department and then you can then, then you can figure out okay what these costs this cost base is and what we're paying in entitlements we're way oversubscribed or we're way yep. undersubscribed for today and then as your business innovates or evolves, so too do the skills uplift. So Dan does a bit more. The cost of him getting his job is that bit more. You yep. consume more of your E5. Your productivity goes up. So it, it is very much to, in a roundabout way when looking at TCO, you can't just compare what you had to what you now have in 365 and Azure without yep. going through that know your data, know your device, know your user and map that out. To, to, to measure true effectiveness. Right. And and in terms of that, you know, whether it's whether it's the cost of ownership or the return on investment, you know, there's there's the the tangibles. I, I call them the tangibles and the intangibles, intangibles right? There's, correct, the, yeah. there's there's the stuff that you know and there's the stuff that um, you know your financial officer is going to be able to say, well these are our this these are our costs for the hardware and you know um, yep. the storage and the compute and um, the licensing and so on and so forth. Um, yeah. So these they're the easy things to identify um, in terms of what your cost savings are in comparison to licensing a single um, product or a single suite of products in M365. Yeah. But there's also the the intangibles as well. Do you want to walk us through some of those things that that aren't necessarily obvious 
up front, but when you sit down and consider them, you go, yeah. oh, okay, well, yeah, there's cost savings here and here and here. Absolutely. But they're just not obvious. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what by far one of the biggest ones is around, you know, if you look at, say, like PowerX or the Power Platform, mm-hmm. right, without getting into the tech, that's embedded in all of 365 and in most of Azure, right? So the, the, the ability to automate and workflow certain roles or certain types of tasks is already there. It yep. comes back to that capability piece. Now, if you were to look at, um, say, something in medical like a nurse and the way a nurse does triage, she's probably got a very robust process. It's probably quite antiquated, involves many different systems and platforms to get her job done, right? And you've got 100 nurses, say, in the ER, if you were to look at from an intang- from a, from the intangible side, it's, it's only beneficial if you were to give those nurses each two hours back in their day. Could right. they triage? Could they triage more patients, or could they do something different that benefits the the, the greater population and the, and the and the patients or the hospital? Right. So again, those two things are, are, are quite intrinsically linked. It's okay. We can identify parts of the business that would benefit from. Um, types of automation or yeah. innovation improvements to give back to maybe an hour, maybe two hours per resource per day to be reused to do something else that's of benefit to the hospital in that scenario or to yeah. the client, right? So that's that's well, that's one that's vastly overlooked. Again, ties back to the original point of entitlement is already there. Yep. The, the the assumption is we can't automate because we don't understand and we don't have the skills to do so. So as much as I said the migration success is about the end user experience, be able to get that to get in my scenario there to get the nurse to a point of taking advantage of an innovative way of working with some automation to allow her to do the parts of the job that she really enjoys requires some upskill and some investment from right. that individual, right? Yep. But you apply that across the whole department, then you're looking at significant, or a significant return of time, and to translate that into dollars saved and hard costs, and then you can align that to the benefits achieved for the time they got back. Yep. That's that's a pretty significant, and you can apply that logic across, from an automation standpoint, across most of what a business will be doing. Yeah, and and as, as hard as it is. You know, I'm a consultant, but you know, in, in previous life was an IT admin, and it's it's really hard for me to say this, but there's cost savings to be had in terms of the headcount that you've got managing your IT totally. infrastructure, right? Absolutely. Um, now, whether Absolutely. that's a cost savings by reducing the headcount, or whether it's a, a cost adjustment, um, reallocation, in terms of, as as you as you said, by upskilling them into the, you know away from an IT admin and into uh, almost pseudo DevOps. Right, absolutely. The, the ability to yep. to automate. Um, there's significant cost savings there. That is, I mean, an IT admin is a great example. Someone that turns up every day and feeds and waters, you know, a cabinet full of servers. Yep. That's all they're doing all day, every day. If you're in a yep. position where you can make fifty percent of what they do redundant, and then upskill that person to use that fifty percent of time to do something that step changes the business, it elevates that individual invest in that individual and yep. the business gets the return on the back end. It's the old proactive versus reactive, right? If yeah, you can exactly. convert them from being reactive into being proactive, it's a it's a benefit for your business. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, where should we go from here? Um, I mean, in terms of um, 
the total cost of ownership. I mean, there's, uh, I was, I would say, you know, back in the day, it was the old OPEX versus CAPEX argument and those sorts of things. But yeah. by and large, that's sort of gone by the wayside because you can shift hardware refreshes into an OPEX these days anyway. You can, you can. But I'll tell you, there's an area, another area where you look at kind of known or unknown cost savings is things like tech debt and tech overlap. Right. Right. So, so often there are positions where there are things, again, comes back to a, like most things do, right? Comes to a skills-based coverage. But you'll have legacy systems that have to exist within an organization because it's just the way it is. Yep. Right? Things have been written that way and they need to be supported that way. Yet they don't have the skills or experience to innovate away from that, that, that legacy, mm -hmm. to innovate and move to a modern way of doing things. So there's your, there's, your, like, there's your legacy cost and support of that legacy equipment. And then there's the, the if, it's, if it's true technical debt, you're, you know, it's out of support for hardware maintenance, which you're paying an ex exaggerated amount to support old hardware. Yep. Right? So, so there's that, and there's, then there's the tech overlap, which people often miss. So when, when people or organizations look at solving business problems purely from that reactive tactical position, we have this problem, we're going to fix it with X. We have this problem, we're going to use more of Y. And more, more often than not, you find that there's four. I have to find the statistic and the average, but it's between four and six and a half or something. Pieces of tech that overlap and do similar or the same roles within an organization. Yep. Yet they, they, can't, they can't surface that. So part of, again, from, a, from taking that step back and having kind of that consultative advisory lens, it's like, let's go and look at what's there let's surface the insights that say hey these th these four things are all doing the similar if not the same role yet you have an entitlement again in that 365 e5 construct that does all of this yep right so from a cost saving perspective you just need to enable this and theoretically you can turn that off technical debt goes away the legacy problem goes away there's just some upskilling and a little bit of innovation to consume that license that you're already paying for yeah, so to that end, it's about um, sort of tool consolidation, right? Yeah. Um, and, and looking at, at reducing the number of disparate systems that you use um, across your um, your estate or across your user base or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, 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 and the importance of having an overarching vision or a direction as to where the organisation needs to go and then aligning all of the elements... I think we're going to keep landing back at what are you paying if you've got 4,000 users licensed for E5 and you're using 5% of it, Yep. right? You then got a double bubble problem. You're paying over the top for those licenses. You've got the tech debt, you've got the tech overlap, and you've got these resources out on the periphery that are struggling day to day with legacy, legacy um, systems and platforms, which is making their day to day role somewhat challenging. Yep. If you can flip that paradigm, innovate, give these guys all back some time in their day to do the stuff that they're passionate about and they can do whilst removing some of the tech data and overlap, consuming more and taking advantage of what you have in your existing subscriptions. We're using E5 as an example, yep. could be whatever subscription, but leverage more of that, then the cost benefits flow and it's easy to show rather than just trying to do that comparison. This is what it was costing us in XDC, yep. whatever data center it's in, and this is what it's now costing us in you know, a public cloud platform. Yeah, and I guess to that end as well, it's going back to the know your users. I mean, you're talking about mm -hmm. licensing, getting an understanding of 
what the requirements are for the user. You know, there's back back in the in the Halcyon days, there was, and it still happens today. You know, companies who are doing lift and shift into Azure from on-prem infrastructure, and they're going, well, yeah. this system has four, you know, vCPUs and sixteen gig of RAM, so we'll spin up four vCPUs and sixteen gig of RAM, and it's like, well, no, <laughs> you need to understand what the workloads are and what you know, what sort of resources it's utilizing. Don't go exactly. like, like so. To, to yes. that end, it's also knowing what your users are and, you know, we'll, we'll take um, healthcare as an example. Nurses yep. who, going back to, they don't need, you know, 50 gig of mailbox, right? A two, a right. two gig That's mailbox right. may very well be sufficient for them um, to, to be able to perform their job and, and get the emails they need. So they don't need an E5 license. You could look at getting exactly an F right. license or... So there's, there's cost savings within... M365 itself, not just, um, you know, in the, the migration. Well, exactly. There's, the, there's, there's that. And there's also, as you, as you take it down that path, there's the end user compute element to it all, right? So what does an EUC strategy, what does an EUC strategy look like? You know, today, these guys all have laptops or tablets and the nurses have, you know, crash trolleys with a, with a, with a full laptop on it yep. and all the peripheries and support that needs to go with that, you know, some modern hospitals, it's all thin clients. But what does EUC look like today? It's very different to what it looked like just two years ago. Right. And, and look at the different vendors and things that are available to you to get a desktop to you, a high-performant, high ava highly available desktop that's relevant to, again, shift from, say, health and shift into, like what we're doing now, shift into a design house or an animation house. You know, you're going to have people that absolutely need honking machines that are full of processes and everything else, but you've got other people in that business that don't need that. Yep. But that business may say, that's our standard. It's Mac Studios across everybody at 15 grand a go. Yep. You're like, actually, no, these people over here could quite helpfully run a virtual desktop in the cloud, yep. Yeah. right? So it's, it's that knowing your user, knowing what they need, and mapping that to how the business functions and where the business benefits are is going to help you arrive at what is the true TCL and ROI within public cloud. Another sort of right. hidden cost, though, I mean, it, it should be at the forefront of people's minds from a security perspective, is, is the data integrity that you get with migrating your data from traditional file shares, which, as a lot of us know, are prone to uh, ransomware and these sorts of things. Absolutely. Into Absolutely. M365 and SharePoint and OneDrive, where, you know, um, th those issues are... Um, Neutered, for want of a better term, right? Well, what's the cost of a breach? I don't want to scare with numbers, but you go, go just go look at the latest reports yeah. and look at cost of breach. Yeah. So it's it's like understanding again when you it, it, it hinges again off the EUC, the end user compute yeah. thing we were just discussing. By moving away from, like you say, file shares accessed by laptops or tablets or physical devices over a network, to an encompassed platform where the boundary is secure the devices are secure the user is understood so what's normal behavior for dan therefore we can track and measure yep. that and what's abnormal behavior for dan what's the risk associated with dan doing business and working the way that he works yeah. right it's it's all um all of those things feed in i think you've nailed it with the you know know your data know your user it, that is the real way to understand and it is that does take that step back and not take that CFO view on why is that more expensive than that? Yeah. You know, what, why is Dan on the same license as Lee? I, I don't know. 
right? It's yeah. If if we under, if you can clearly delineate why that's the case and it's justified, okay. Well, there are fifty of him and a hundred and fifty of him. That's what the cost base should be. Adjust the licenses accordingly, and there's your saving. Yeah, I mean, uh, in when when we're doing consultative uh, engagements, you, you've got things like functional and non-functional requirements, etc. From a from yep. a, a business case for an M three six five migration, again, I come back to the tangibles and the intangibles, right? And it's those intangible yep. things that um, you know ultimately the cost of a breach um, comes down to the. Um, the individual cost to, to your organisation for an outage. Um, you know, I've, yeah. I've, I've been involved with breaches before, not, not, not me doing the breach, that would be unethical. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but fun. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, where a breach of a, a major multinational that shut down their base of operation in Australia, all their users got sent home for a week yeah. because there was yeah, nothing yeah. that they could do. Um, so there's so yeah you're right there's there's a cost to that but there's also the cost the reputational yes. damage and the reputational yep. risk of that breach yes. right it depends what kind of business you are but if there are shareholders investors if there are people that use your business and realize you've had a breach you're going to lose without a doubt they're going to lose client base they're going to lose shareholders stock price is going to take a yep. hit so again that's it's it's all very true yeah and and that's that's one you you can't necessarily put a price tag on that um, I mean, you, ultimately, you could. It's what's the value of your organisation? What's the market exactly cap? Right. You know, exactly. for want of a better term. Um, but yeah. th that's the sort of dare I say it scare tactics that can be employed within a business case to say, you know, this is what we're vulnerable to right now. If not M three six five, we need to implement something that safeguards us against that. And the the, the cost associated with that is is this much. And you know, absolutely, um, absolutely. Look, I think I've I think I've touched on it a few points. If you put the user at the centre of everything, call it user, call it my client, call it my crew. If you put the individual at the centre of everything, and you understand how the user operates and needs to function in the role that you yep. put them in, and you build out the layers around that user, around the identity, the security identity, the access, the device, the way you deliver the device, and so on and so forth, you're building a robust platform for that individual to get their work done and at a known cost yep. base that's appropriate rather than everything we've discussed. So yeah. I think that's, that's a core message. It, it is, and, and that, I guess, leads into also the, the productivity side of it all, right? We're, you know, we're talking, um, I mean, outside of the security aspect with MFA and so on and so forth, we're talking, you know, in, improved productivity through unified products, through, you know, seamless... Uh -huh, yeah, 100%. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Seamless sort of UI and UX across um, disparate and, and different devices, whether it's PC, yeah. Mac, phone, tablet. You know, you you get that that unified user experience across all of those platforms, which just increases assists with the increase of productivity massively. Yeah. 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 Look, I mean, being a Mac person, I don't know if Dan, you're a Mac or a Windows person, but I, I have both. But for a long time on Mac, they had handoff between devices, which was one of the best things ever. Start something on your iPhone, pick it up on your iPad, could finish it on your Mac. It was great. Right? That's now there. It's been there for a while across all the 365. So I, no matter what device I use, Windows or Mac, I can start at A and finish right. at Z and have productivity the whole way through. Right. So that's, again, a great measure of how you get work done. The piece that people often miss, though, again, is that capability component to this. 
there's an assumption or a belief that I'm going to give Dan all of these tools and just magically he's going to right. just do all of this stuff. It's just, just going to happen. So you're a tech guy. You're going to sure. figure it out. But if you apply that to my analogy of, say, nurses, these people save lives. They don't mm. know tech. Right. So if the assumption is I'm going to give Sally and Pete these wonderful devices and all this capability and this going to boost their productivity and they're going to be amazing. If you don't put them at the center and take them along for the journey and empower them and measure them as they go, it falls on its face. So you're back to square one. You're paying for the, you're paying for the outcome. You're not getting the bottom, bottom yep. line result. Right? And, and that, that comes back to just good, good communications to your end users, you know, it's a, it's only productive if the users know how to tool, use the tools, if they've been shown, demonstrated how to use them. Correct. And, and um, you know, there's there's an element of train the trainer within the organization. You know, you need, you need that information being passed between, um, you know, crewmates. Um, otherwise, it just gets in the way. It becomes too hard. And it's like, oh, I, you know, I'm not doing that because I end up spending half an hour on that, whereas I should be seeing patients, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, you, and yeah, you're right. You need champions of change, right? You need people that believe in and, and can actually, the working proof is there. You know, hey, Dan, I know you're in, we're in similar roles. I've been on a pilot for the last three months and I'm now working this way. It's given me back an hour and a half, two yep. hours a day, which has allowed me to really up level and do this. This person here is just like, I want a yeah. piece of that. Like, I'm still doing this. I'm still doing stuff yep. this way. That's on the ground. That That happens, right? But when you're stepping back from your original question around how do i measure the true roi and tco it's not always dollars it's retention of people right retaining the people that you have investing yep. in the people and attracting really good talent yeah you know i was just on a call week last week week before last with a university where their sole mission is we want to be the first and only choice right. for students because of what we can offer and they have a whole mission statement around their platforms and what they offer so they're getting students because they say, I want to go to that uni because I get X, Y, and Z. The experience is flawless. It's innovative. It's up there. It's forward thinking. I'm not going to be given devices and be working in the dark ages. I, this is, I yep. want a piece of this. And, and, and they're dead set on it. Right? Awesome. I, I think we're, I mean, we could continue talking about this, but um, I think we've, yeah, we, we could. Day, mate, but... but I, I think we've, um, We've maybe hit a natural jumping off point for now and maybe we'll have to come back into a second episode on this because um you know that the it's important and almost imperative that you get it right right in order yeah. to to get that 100 100 percent. i think if you want to under i would underline it by saying everything we've discussed today is is the the the, the thinking hat that yep. needs to go on before you even consider looking at what the TCO and the ROI is. When you consider everything we've discussed, you can go and do some investigation, you can go and do some, some, some consulting to understand it all. And if it is a case of there's a migration or whatever, there's a transitional piece that needs to happen, you know going into it what the outcome needs to be and how to measure it and how to yep. get the most out of it. So you know, next time we can talk about that, yep. that potential path yep. of how you get there. Yeah, I mean, this... <laughs> The podcast was never about telling you what your ROI is or what your total cost of ownership is because yeah. that varies from business to business. It's really about exactly. It's just how to yeah to exactly think about laying the, the framework for yeah. for um, you know the listener to go and and start to put together um, what works for them in terms of their organisation. Yeah. Um, the only other yeah, thing yeah. I would mention, um, and I do this 
have done this, I think, in every episode so far, is uh, I, I have a second topic section in the show notes, and it's just PowerShell, oh, yeah. PowerShell, PowerShell. With with all of this, yep. I mean, I know that this isn't related to, to ROI, but um, in terms of with, maybe it is your IT staff, your IT admins, um, any aspect of M365 or Azure, you need to know PowerShell. So go out and learn PowerShell. Yeah. Um, and then lastly for me, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll even give you the final word if you like, Lee, but um, go and sign up for the M365 developer program. So this is, um, I guess Microsoft provides you with a 60-day trial of the full suite. Um, so anyone out there who wants to get their hands dirty with the technology before or while they're putting together a business case to, to understand the tool sets that are available and the products that, that are on offer, go and sign up for the program, get your hands dirty, dive right in, um, set up email and teams for the family and, and see how it works out. But um, I would uh, always recommend that. Um, any any last thoughts from you, Lee, before yeah. we sign off? A bit of a curveball in the same vein as what you've just said. Everything we've discussed, the way to surface all of this information is the data's there, right? You just need to aggregate it and surface it. So in the same way as you say PowerShell, 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 I would say Power BI, Power BI, Power BI, yep. right? Go and get across Power BI and use Power BI. Get out of spreadsheets. Get out the way that you collate information. Use Power BI to aggregate data and surface true insights from the data that you've got. So you can make decisions based on data rather than an assumption or a I, I say this somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but I think it, there's, there's, on, there's honesty in what I'm about to say, and that is that um, Power BI is great, particularly for including nice pretty graphs in your business case, because management love pretty graphs, right? They love the fluff. So, um, yes, I, I would actually second that. Power BI is a, a great tool for data visualization yeah. um, and getting an understanding. Yeah. So, I think we're done. I think, I, I think we'll uh, we'll wrap up now. Cool, mate. Um, that was brilliant. Lee, awesome having you on. This was a great, great conversation. Um, I look forward to doing it again with Thanks, you. Thanks, Dan. Pleasure, everyone, mate. Everyone, thank you for joining in, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>